please join me in a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, as we get into the word, Lord, we pray that uh, you would quicken your word in our hearts, O oh God. We thank you that you've already begun the work of breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts and getting those rocks and thorns out. And, uh, and by faith, Lord, I just trust that our heart is good soil upon which the word of God can be planted and yield a fruit, yield abundant fruit to your glory. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you are exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, be in Hebrews chapter 12 today. Continuing uh, the message series of Refiner's Fire, pursuing holiness. And while it has been alluded to in the previous weeks, we're going to be specifically just honing in on God's discipline. Not just how he can use circumstances and turn them for our good, but his direct discipline and chastening in our lives. <clears throat> I'll read the first 13 verses and then we'll get into the message. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at the first verse, reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are Ill illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
So starting here in the very first couple of verses, you know, this is on the heels of chapter 11, the, the hall of faith is what I like to call it. And it says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, the Christian life here is depicted as the ultimate marathon. That's how I picture it in my mind. How many of you have run a marathon? All right, we got one brave soul, two brave souls, three. All right, many marathon. Half marathon. All right, there we go. <laughs> how about a 5K? All right. <laughs> well, some, a few of y'all know what it's like. The rest of us are going to have to imagine it, what it might be like. But just think of the physical, mental, and emotional endurance required to run a 26-mile race, especially if you're running the race to win it. People have different goals. Some people, they just want to get through it. And if they don't finish until the sun comes up the next day, hey, that's a win for them because they just wanted to finish it. But there are others who are running to win. And that takes a different level of training. That takes a different level of, uh, of sacrifice. It takes a different level of commitment because you, this is a competition. You're wanting to be the, the winner, the first one to cross the finish line. Well, the Christian life, as much endurance, as much discipline, as much sacrifice as it takes to be able to win a marathon race, it takes even greater of all those things to live the Christian life. Y'all thinking about it, huh? Is that true? Here's what I mean by that. The Christian life will require greater endurance because you have to keep running, not just for 26 miles, but for the rest of your life. If you want to run that marathon for 26 miles and 385, I guess, yards, it's over 26 miles. For 26 miles, you can't let up. No matter how much your muscles hurt, no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how much you're fighting off cramping and, and, and what have you, you're going to have to fight off dehydration. You're going to fight off the elements, fight off all these things your body is rebelling, and you're going to have to push through and endure if you want to win the race. But there is a definite end, 26 miles. There is a finish line to cross. Imagine if you took that 26 miles and had to do it for the next 26 years. Run. There's points when those marathoners probably want to quit, and they probably would have quit if it wasn't for the training if it wasn't for the preparation, if it wasn't for all the times, all the things they gave up 
to be able to accomplish the, the goal of winning the race, they might have quit. You won't see someone who's running a marathon to win it. You won't see them running it in their Levi jeans. You won't see them running it in their cowboy boots. Why? Because those are weights. Those are hindrances. They're going to they're going to get rid of those things and put on attire, put on clothing, put on uniform that's conducive for accomplishing the goal. You won't see them chugging sodas and, and all kinds of fattening drinks and consuming fattening foods and all this other stuff. You won't see them lounging on the couch for 10 hours a day. Why? Because they've got to be disciplined. They've got to train to be able to accomplish the high goal that they have set for themselves. Y'all, we are in our own lifelong marathon. And the finish line will be when, we've lived, when we have breathed our last breath. Until that time, we've got to keep trucking. Until that time, even when it hurts, even when life knocks us down, even when we trip and fall, we've got to get up and we've got to keep those legs turning. We've got to keep running because this race is nonstop. There will be moments that will challenge our resolve. Moments we'll want to quit. Moments we'll want to take the easy road. But no, no, no. Each moment is preparation. Each moment, each, each uh, 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 trial, each tribulation, each difficulty is training to help us endure for a lifetime. Everybody here understands that sin can hold us back. But there are also things that aren't sin, but they're hindrances. Like I said, you can wear your cowboy boots to run the marathon. It ain't a sin to do it. But it's going to be a hindrance. We talked about choices. Leanne talked about choices, being holy. There's going to be lots of temptation to be unholy. Lots of temptation to do that which you know is not right and not pleasing to the Lord. And we're going to have to make the choice that's conducive to finishing the race. Are you hearing me? So let's get into this a little bit. There's a couple of things I want to, two or three things I want to highlight as we read through this. Weights and sin which cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, I remember, I don't know how many years it's been, three, maybe four. When's the last time we went to climb Pikes Peak? Hmm? It's been that long? <laughs> well, I needed help to get up that thing. I tried the year before, made it halfway up, and my mind wanted to go, but my body said, we're done. <laughs> I didn't train effectively enough to get it done. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I did what I normally do. I did, you know, played around the margins a little bit, and it just kicked my butt. The guys knew I was done before I did. And uh, Marty's back there. Charlie was, uh, was in that group with us. Charlie knew he was done. And he let it be known. We make it to bar camp. We make it to midway point. That's my limit. I'm heading back. And I should have got a clue when the guys asked me if I was going to go with him. And I told the guys, no, man, I'm going to push through. We rested up. I thought I was a little, I got a little more energy back and everything. I didn't make it 200 yards past bar camp before I realized I need to go find, I need to catch up with Charlie. Because <laughs> I'm done. The more the altitude, the more oxygen deprivation there was or whatever, the, the more my body was just felt weaker and weaker and weaker. It's amazing how much I came to life on the way down. It's amazing. It's like, wow. I don't know what would happen there. You know, but I went back the next year, and we had uh, uh, some of the same characters and some of the new characters. Were, uh, but we had a few new guys in the group. And as it happened, Johnny and I were buddied up in that, in, in that thing. And I tell you what, man, we were the last two up that doggone mountain. But we made it up. And there was time when one guy didn't think he had it. And the other guy spurred him on. It didn't take long before the guy who spurred him on was the guy who didn't think he had it. And then the other guy spurred him on. And that's just how we, you know, and that's just how we kind of made it up there. There were guys who ran up it. Finished it in less than five hours. I think it was about 11 by the time we got up there. We started like, what, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning? And like, whoa. And some of the most humbling stuff is when you see these 70, 80-year-old people, hey, just keep going, you can do it, as they pass, as they pass you up on Pikes Peak. That's a humbling time. Oh, my goodness. They are so nice, man, but you uh, got to, I don't know. I won't say the thoughts they come across my mind sometimes. It's not very nice. But they, you know, you could tell by their body composition and everything that they train every day. This is just everyday life for them. They prepared for it. So going up and down that mountain is not the challenge to them as it is to me who does not spend my time preparing. 
to, <laughs> to go up mountains. But again, that challenge, you know, uh, Johnny and I have talked about this, man. I don't know if either of us would have made it without the other. You know, and it reminds me of the Christian walk, how we are to help one another and spur one another on towards love and good works. And so we sharpen one another and, 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 you, and, and you know, we encourage one another to keep on keeping on. You can do it. No, I think I've reached my limit. No, you still got more left. Stay in the fight. And he says, if you ever get to that point to where you think you've reached the end, you can't go any farther, if you need inspiration, then look to Jesus. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's our faith expressed perfectly. What was his secret? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. His mind, he, he, didn't, he didn't allow the discouragement of the cross to take ownership of his mind or his heart. He was forward-looking. He looked not to the cross. He looked not just to the cross, not just to the hardship, not just to the persecution. He looked beyond it to what it would yield, the result that would come from it. You know, that's one thing that kept me going up that mountain. I, I said from the year that they kept me going up that mountain, I said the year before, okay, now, now the competitor in me is out. You conquered me this year. But I'm coming back at you next year. And so I signed up early to go again. My poor dog, man, we took some long walks slash jogs. Uh, we live over there by Crayler, and we're all the way up on 6th Street. You know, we're just we're doing this. I'm preparing. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I was like, I am preparing for my opponent much more effectively than I did before. Now I respect my opponent. And I'm going to prepare to win. And it, it, I wish I could say it was easy. It wasn't. And whoever called those things, that last mile or two, the golden steps, is evil. Because <laughs> there's nothing golden about them. Huh? <laughs> uh, I thought I was going to go through the pearly gates there for a while, but... Made it. But looking to Jesus, what did he do? He anchored himself in truth. Because if we just focus on the circumstance, what we'll end up doing is anchoring ourselves in feelings, in emotion. Because no chastisement, no trial, no tribulation is pleasant in and of itself. If we just stay focused on the here and now, on all the unpleasant things that's going on, that at some point we're going to get jaded. At some point we're going to have a pity party. We're going to fall into the pit and we're just going to camp there and we're not going to keep running the race. We're going to sit on the side and we're not making any progress as long as we're in our feelings. Are you hearing me? So Jesus, what did he do not to let that happen? 
he kept looking forward. You know, the truth is, right, the truth is this is God's plan of salvation. The truth is there is a victory on the other side of the cross. And as I was going up that mountain, I kept telling myself, nah, I lost last year. I'm not losing this year. And I still needed help. But it drove me. The feeling that I, I kept thinking, man, think about how it's going to feel once you make it to the top. And you're able to take the picture by that sign to memorialize that moment that I did this. <laughs> right? I'm looking, looking to the completion of it. Help keep me keeping on. Help keep me driving up that mountain. So let's take our cue from Jesus. He looked to what the cross would yield to help him endure going through the cross. And that's what we're going to have to do in those difficult times, y'all. Oh, my goodness. I was wondering what y'all... <laughs> We did it. But that's what we're going to have to do. And we're going to need some help along the way. But that's okay as long as we keep, like Dory say, just keep swimming. As long as we just keep keeping on. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, that's a benefit of reminding ourselves constantly what Jesus went through for us. Consider what he endured, the hostility he endured. We have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding our blood. Christ resisted, resisted sin to the point of one of the most gruesome deaths a, a person could, could suffer. He paid the ultimate price for our sins. And if we will keep ourselves in constant remembrance of it, it will help guard against us getting faint-hearted. He goes on in verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And, and this is uh, from Proverbs, but uh, I'm not going to uh, go to Proverbs. But I'll just, this reference, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I want to say that again. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives it is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
illegitimate children and not sons. There are times in our lives when it isn't just circumstances falling the wrong way against us and we have to trust that God is going to use those circumstances in a way that turns around for our good. He does that. But there are also times when what you're experiencing is the chastisement of the Lord. Ain't no hallelujahs on that one. No. What you're experiencing is the discipline. The discipline of the Lord. Y'all know my background is football. And one of the probably least loved parts is the two-a-days. Coming back from the summer break, you don't want to, don't you come back not in shape because there will be a price to pay. <laughs> if you come back in shape, there's still a price to pay. No, but, you know, one of the, I know two a days is in preparation for the season. You're getting everybody, coaches are getting a sense of where everybody is, conditioning-wise, where they're responsible over the summer. We need to know which ones weren't because we got to get them some extra conditioning. We got to teach them some lessons. We got to, you know, we're going to be a part of their story, helping, helping them mature them a little bit. Two a days is going to be extra hard for them because when they don't make their times, they're going to have to do extra conditioning after two-a-day practices in order to try and hurry up, speed up, getting their conditioning ready in preparation for the season. But each summer, Coach Glass would have a summer program And you know, there was always a group of us that were willing to stay for the summer to go through. We knew he was going to half kill us. I don't know, but we signed up for it anyway. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that wasn't, you know, that, that, that wasn't voluntary in just name only. No, but, but, but those of us who did, we wanted to pay that cost because we had a season coming up. And in our minds, our competitors are getting better. We've had a tough season. We've got a long way to go. We've got, we got a lot of improving to do. So uh, we were in the midst of probation. So recruiting classes, high-level recruiting classes weren't coming in. We wanted to be as conditioned as we could possibly could. And uh, we wanted to be able to put our best foot forward out there. And so we were willing to make that sacrifice, not to go home as fun and as good as it would have been to go home. We made the sacrifice to stay here and go through it. 
And you just had to have been under Coach Glass to know what something like that would encompass. He's going to make you better. He's going to make you better. And, but there was pain involved. He pushed us to our, beyond our limits. He broke us down, but he also built us up. And I tell you what, by the time that summer was over, when two-a-days came along, it was a different ball game. We weren't worried about conditioning. We weren't worried about, uh, you know, being in shape and all that. We spent the summer doing that. Because I didn't have to worry about that, I was able to focus and lock in more on the responsibilities of my position and become a better player. You know, uh, in, in, in that sense, he's like a, he was like a physical trainer. Why do we pay people to hurt us? <laughs> we know they're going to hurt us, and we pay them to hurt us. We knew Coach Glass was going to hurt us, but we were looking past the hurt to the fruit that it would yield. It was worth it to go through that, to go through that summer program to become stronger, faster, just become a better resource for our team. We knew he was going to hurt us, but he, we knew that it was going to be for our good. Same thing is true in this Christian walk that we, that we live. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. The cross hurt. The lies hurt. The betrayal of a friend hurt. Being abandoned by his disciples hurt. Being mocked and beaten beyond recognition hurt. And, and there's a reason he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating as it were great drops of blood in that moment because of what he knew was about to happen to him. But the thing that helped him soldier on, he knew that the father had not abandoned him. Yes, that goes without saying. But he kept himself in remembrance of the truth concerning what that cross would yield. And our salvation is a part of that fruit. Right? So if you're feeling worthless, if you don't feel like people see the worth in you, just know how much you're worth to Jesus. You were worth him enduring the cross and the shame that came with it. That's what you mean to God. That's how valuable you are to God, that he would subject his son to that. So, um, so remind yourself of that truth when you're going through Trials, even if you're going through, I'm going to be specific, when you're going through the discipline of the Lord. 
It's not because he doesn't like you. It's not because he's being mean. It's not because he's upset with you. It's because he's being Coach Glass to you. You've got a race to run, and you're going to have to endure till the end. And God is disciplining you for endurance sake. And it ain't going to feel good, but he's not trying to make you feel good. He's trying to make you last. He's preparing you to be able to endure what life brings your way. And so he's going to introduce some adversity into your life. Yes, he could stop it. He could prevent it. Why does God let these difficult situations happen to us so that you can endure? Just like you pay the physical trainer to hurt you, why do you subject yourself to them? Why do you give them your money so that they can make your muscles hurt? Because without the it's a good hurt because without the hurt, the muscles can't grow. You can't get stronger. You know that the fruit that will be yielded from this, you will be, you'll be stronger and healthier. Oh, you're looking at me like, what did you just say? I didn't. I was like, do I need to rephrase? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, I'm not, I, I did not want to tap dance around that whole thing as though and give the false impression that when bad stuff happens in your life, God is never the author of it. He just comes through and pats you on the back and, and tells, you know, and makes it all better. No. It says here, that when God brings discipline in your life, he does it because he loves you. We are sons and daughters of God. And I didn't appreciate this as a kid, but I appreciate it now as an adult and as a parent myself. You know, whenever I was disciplined by my parents, I thought that I didn't think it was because of love, I can tell you that. When I didn't get to do the things that I wanted to do and I wasn't allowed to do it, it didn't feel like love to me. My friends were getting to do stuff I wasn't able to do. That didn't feel like love to me. You know, but as an adult, I began, after I lived more life and got more life experience, I realized that the things I used to hate that my parents did the, mo the, the negative motives I ascribed to them, I learned that that was just my feelings talking. The truth of the matter is they did these things out of love for me. And they were instilling some things in me that they knew would, would yield fruit for my life later on. They knew something I didn't know. And it's interesting being on the other side of that as a parent. Knowing in your heart that you want the best for your child, but your children don't see it. And you're like, oh, this is what mama was having to deal with. 
But as they get older, then they see the same things that I see. And seeing them mature into adults and, and, and seeing the caliber of women that they have become, you know, I am grateful to God for his faithfulness there. Amen? Because I know if it was just me, they'd, they'd probably need a lot of counseling. But the grace of God enabled Christy and I uh, to, to, to grow as parents and to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I can't say that it was easy. I can't say that there wasn't challenges because they were. Um, I can't say that we didn't fail at times because we did. But God strengthened us. God carried us at times. God guided us. When we didn't know what we were doing, God led us to information that was helpful. God will be faithful to you like he's been faithful to us. Amen? He is faithful. But I want to say chastening should not be regarded as the only reason God allows difficulty in your lives, but, but, it, but we better realize that it is one, and it is an important one. We know that God... You know, when you ask, why does God allow difficult times? You know, sometimes it could be as simple as there's, there are things for your personal benefit. He wants to instill some discipline in you, but he also wants to take you through something to make you able to bring comfort and consolation in the lives of other people because you can relate to what they're going through. In another place in Hebrews, it says that we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. But he, Jesus, was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So he knows what it's, what it's like to be tempted, to have to face that. He never yielded to temptation, but he knows what it's like to have to deal with his flesh. He had to put it on in order to die for us as our representative, as the Lamb of God. So he knows what it's like to deal with this. So he can relate to us. He knows where we're at emotionally. And so he can lift us up and comfort and console us and, and uh, encourage us out of his own experiential knowledge. Amen? And so uh, 2 Corinthians 1, I'll just read it. Um, you don't have to turn there. Uh, verses 3 through 7 is an example of this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul is speaking here, the Father of mercies and, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. See, he comforts us in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort others in their affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, 
For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You know, if God wants to take you through something to make you an able minister to comfort someone else who goes through hardships, are you, will you say yes to him? Are you willing to, to suffer through that for his sake, for his cause, for his glory, to make a difference in someone else's life that might bring them to Christ? He went to the cross for us. Surely we can go through an affliction or two that he might make us effect, able to effectively minister to others in their afflictions. If that's what God wants to do, then God have your way. That should be our posture. Um, and that's why James, another reference, and I'll get back to Hebrews, says a very commonly known scripture, very well-known scripture, James 1, verses 2, 2, 2 through 5, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Remember, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We can count it all joy, not because of what we're going through, but because what we know it will yield in our lives. God is going to mature me. He's going to grow me. He's going to refine me. He's giving me disciplines. He's strengthening me through this for the long haul so that I'm able to run the marathon that is the Christian life and finish the race and win it. And so with that in mind, we ought to be able to say, I can endure this. This will not be the end of me. Like that old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? This will not be the end of me. This will yield a better me. I don't have to be, unlike a marathon where the only winner is the person who finishes in first place, we win by finishing the race. Keeping the faith, fighting the good fight, running the race. We win by finishing the race. Are you hearing me? So, going back to Hebrews, you know, just kind of looking at that verse 8 real quick, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of speed through, I guess. My draw away from that is that if you're being disciplined by God, it's because you are genuinely sons and daughters of God. If he didn't discipline you, then it'd be like you're an illegitimate child. As parents, we discipline our children not because we want to see them in discomfort or pain. We want to see them deprived and so forth. We discipline them for their good. 
We are preparing them for a future. There is a hope and a future for them. And, and it's our job to get them through those immature year phases, to get them through to adulthood where they can carry the torch and bring the gospel to their generation and beyond. Amen? And so uh, let's keep on. Uh, I want to finish those last few verses and uh, make my final point. Uh, 10 to 13. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Want God's, I want you to, we ought to want God's holiness so much that it's, it's no big deal to us to have to go through the discipline necessary to get it. Holiness doesn't just magically happen. Right? Discipline is required there. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame Sorry, y'all, this pen made me click something. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. As Christians, and it says, the peaceable fruit of righteousness need to be evident in our lives. It should, it should mark us as being Christ followers. There should be something of Christ that, isn't, that is in us, but it is being expressed out in our lives. But that doesn't just magically happen. It has to be instilled in us. And God has a training process designed to do exactly that. You know, the reason why I brought up the physical trainer and all that was uh, in that verse where it says, verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, trained by discipline. Just like the coaches, they want to train you by discipline. If you have an undisciplined team playing a disciplined team, even if the undisciplined team is more talented, more than likely the disciplined team is going to win. Because there will come a point, a critical point, where the undisciplined team will get a penalty, will do something that should be out of character, but it's in character for them, and it will cost them, and the discipline team is prepared to take advantage of that mistake. See, God is disciplining us so that as we are facing our own challenges, 
We're not undisciplined. We don't fail because we're undisciplined. We're able to keep our, keep our discipline focus. To engage and acknowledge God in truth. Even in the heat of the moment. The emotions are screaming and telling us lies. But we remain disciplined and we confront the lies with truth. And we stay anchored and we stay yielded and we endure and we patiently endure. We walk with God through this trial until it's over. Because he's with us in it. He's doing a work in us in it. And something good is going to yield, be yielded in our lives as a result of it. Uh, we're not going to entertain any, any lie to the contrary. He is training us via discipline. You know, if you discipline your child, if you're disciplined, you go, you take the child to the room because you want to preserve his or her dignity. And you go in there and you're really going to teach him a lesson. Y'all come out. And y'all laughing and talking on your way out the door, that discipline was just useless. Right? If, if, it's just, if y'all yucking it up and the, there was no pain, there was no discomfort, there was no penalty involved, anything that would teach a lesson, all right, it's past the statute of limitations. I know my whoopings if you can call them whoopings. I don't even think you can do that anymore. Um, but I tell you what, I, they yielded the desired result. Uh, when I got a whooping, I, I felt it. Discipline that isn't felt has no impact. So when God disciplines you, yeah, you're going to feel it. You ought to feel it, but that doesn't mean it's with malice. The love is still there. You feel it. You're supposed to feel it. There is a lesson to be learned there. There is a modification of behavior that needs to go on there because he is looking to the end game for you. And he's preparing you to finish strong and to win. Um. <clears throat> So don't resist him. God has a training process designed to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness and to get you across the finish line. Don't resist it. Don't resist his process. If we can pay physical trainers to hurt us for our own good, then we can endure what God puts us through for our own good towards eternity. Are you hearing me? We endure what the physical trainers put us through because we believe their process will provide the discipline and chastening we need in order to get stronger and healthier. Well, God puts us through training too. His training also includes discipline and chastening. If we endure God's training, with humility and respect toward him, 
the peaceable fruit of righteousness will be the result. It's not just that you endure, it's how you endure. Humility and respect toward God in the middle of the discipline. There's a posture you need to take in order for you to yield those peaceable fruit. Full circle, back to verses 1 through 3 in closing. God's discipline and chastening is the training we need in order to run with endurance the lifelong race that is set before us. Remember, that's what this whole thing started off with. Get rid of the weights and the sins that so easily beset you and run with endurance the race that is set before you looking to Jesus. If you keep yourself mindful of the fact that you're in a race that you can't stop, you got to keep moving, forgetting those things that are behind, pressing on for the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, you've got to keep those feet moving. Those hands begin to hang low. That's a sign that your resolve is weakening. When those knees feel weak, the endurance that God instills in you is going to enable you to stay active and keep moving and not to faint. going to ask you all to stand. God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. Father God, it's hard to see the path when we're undergoing hardship, when we're undergoing discipline. But Lord, you tell us that if we lack wisdom, just ask you. You'll give wisdom to us liberally. You won't upbraid us. You won't chastise us for that. You want us to seek you in those moments. And like Jim said earlier, you can, I'm trying to say if it was Jim or Leanne, which one of them said, you can cast your care. We can cast our care at your feet knowing that you care for us. Father, I pray that you would help us, grant us the grace, convict us if need to, if we need to be convicted. Change our hearts and change our perspective, oh God, to see your discipline for the wonderful and beneficial thing that it is that we will not resist your process, but we would embrace it. That we would not complain about your process of discipline in our lives, but we'll look forward, like Jesus did, to what it will yield, the peaceable fruits of righteousness in our lives. And I pray that wherever we are in life, 
particularly when we are in difficult circumstances. Some of us are going through difficult circumstances right now, whether it is of our own choices or not. You let us encounter those circumstances. You could have stopped it, but you didn't. And we can whine and complain about it, but that won't yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness. I pray that you would give us humility. Help us find that posture of humility and respect toward you. That instead of lamenting the circumstance, we're trusting you for what you're going to yield in us through this circumstance, oh God. Help us accept your discipline and your chastisement. Help us accept that we need it. We need your discipline. We need your chastisement. Because we are running the ultimate marathon in this Christian life. And we want to finish. And we all want to hear a well done, thy good and faithful servant. And if we're not wanting to hear that, then God put that desire in our hearts. Because we're running the race to win. We're running it to finish. And we need endurance. We need perseverance. We need discipline in order to be able to do it, oh God. And only you can instill that in us. And so, Lord, grant it to us that we would cooperate, that we would be discerning enough to cooperate with your disciplinary process in our lives because you're preparing us. to be able to run the whole way to finish the race. To be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, again, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name.